Blog Talk Radio. Hello, friends. Welcome to another edition of Theology Matters with the Palouse. It's been a while since we've uh, done a show, but uh, really happy to be uh, back with you guys. Got a really good show today. And um, and before we get to that, um, if you guys have not followed us on Facebook yet, you can go to Theology Matters with the Palouse. And we've been doing this show probably for about seven years or so, or so now, and I've done uh, all kind of episodes. We've co- tried to cover pretty much every every angle, uh, from the occult to uh, religions to atheism. Uh, we've hosted a number of debates uh, on the show. And so uh, if you go on that page, Facebook, uh, type in Theology Matters with the Palouse, our page will come up, and then you, you'll be able to have links to uh, – to the shows, and then we're also on iTunes and uh, Android as well with uh, True Radio, uh, TRU Radio. So uh, be sure to uh, look us up. So uh, been a great semester with uh, Ratio Christie. We just finished that up over the last uh, couple weeks uh, up here at Winthrop University, and uh, spent the semester looking at. Um, my wife and me kind of came up with the title of The Faith Next Door. Uh, and with that, we just looked at several <clears throat> other world religions. And, um, you know, we've, we've hit on Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and some of the more popular ones. Um, but we wanted to take some time to look at uh, things like Judaism, uh, Buddhism, Islam, uh, even Scientology, uh, and spend some time just looking at what the other uh, religions believe, what their worldview is, and as Christians, how you know how does it compare to the Christian faith, and what are some ways as, as Christians we can engage uh, with others who who hold those uh, particular belief systems. And so, if you go to um, if you just go to on YouTube, if you just do Ratio Christie Winthrop University, uh, we actually videoed uh, most of the talks, and so. Uh, be sure to check us out there, and then you can also check us out at um, org as well. We'll also pull up some information uh, on us for that. Uh, real quick, uh, next week, plan on having Jonathan McClatchy in. He's, of course, from the U.K. He's uh, done several high-level uh, profile debates, even debated Shabir uh, Ali, who's a, a Muslim apologist on the Trinity and uh smart guy just knows a lot of things about a lot about a lot of things uh has degrees in biology and uh really good with intelligent design uh but is also very good on islam and some of the other uh theological issues so we're going to have him on to talk about uh messianic prophecy uh in the old testament so be sure to join us again next week we'll have a link up for that so without further ado, I am really excited uh, to uh, to kind of introduce our next guest uh, from Reasons to Believe, Professor uh, Ken Samples. Uh, he has been just a guy that I have just really uh, looked up to for for a number of years. I'm it's funny because you know I'm a I'm a young Earth creationist, and sometimes there's these Wars, uh, unfortunately, 
uh, between old earth and young earth creationists. And uh, I've even gotten flack from some of my young earth friends, but um, you know, I appreciate the ministry of reasons to believe and, and uh, really, really love the work of professor Ken samples. Uh, we've had him on a couple times before. Uh, so you can check out those podcasts. We'll link to them. Uh, his book, God Among Sages, and then Without a Doubt. Today we're going to be looking at his new uh, book called uh, Classic Christian Thinkers. And this is really a, a topic that I really love. I love learning about church history, so we'll dive into that. So Professor Samples has earned a BA in the social science with an emphasis in history and philosophy from Concordia University and an MA in Theological Studies from Talbot uh, School of Theology. Prior to joining Reasons to Believe in 1997, uh, Professor Samples worked for years as a senior research consultant and correspondent editor at the Christian Research Institute, where he regularly co-hosted the Bible uh, Answer Man. I believe he worked even for for, uh, Dr. Walter Martin. Uh, In addition, Ken's articles have been published in Christianity Today, Christian Research Journal, Facts for Faith. He holds memberships in uh, Evangelical Philosophical Society, the Evangelical Theological Society, as well as ISCA. So, Professor Sample is really glad to have you join us today. Well, Devin, it's a real pleasure to be with you. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I know that you like historical theology and church history just as much as I do. So, it's an honor to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for for being willing to come on. And so when I saw that you had written this book, you know, I was really excited because I love, uh, I really love learning about some of the profiles and some of these uh, deep thinkers. And maybe, uh, you know, just start start with asking you, um, why why should Protestants care about this issue? Why should we care about church history? Right? We just we have the Bible. We don't need anything other than the Bible. So why should we care about church history? Yeah, that's a that's such an important question, Devin. I I wrote the book because a lot of my evangelical friends um, I think think almost when they think about theology they think almost exclusively in terms of Bible study. Now, when we think about theology, certainly uh, biblical theology or exegesis is at the very foundation of our faith as Protestants. And yet there are other branches, elements of theology that really are critical. Uh, For example, we have philosophical theology. Why? Because uh, the Trinity, the Incarnation, the Atonement, they have philosophical wrinkles and elements that are associated with them. When you talk about God being one what and three who's, you're talking philosophy. But you also have historical theology. That is, a lot of issues like the Trinity and the Incarnation Uh, They were challenged in church history by various heretical positions. They were formulated, they were defined in the various councils and reflected in the creeds of Christendom. So church history is is very important. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of evangelicals don't appreciate how we've come to believe what we believe, why there are creeds, why we defend particular positions. And by the way... uh, I think, and I, I grew up as a as a Roman Catholic, and I became a Protestant when I was uh, just in my college years. Devin, I think that there are 
evangelicals who sometimes opt for Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy because they think that those branches of Christendom are more anchored in history. And mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, help my evangelical friends to see that, you know, people like Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine, uh, they don't belong exclusively to the Catholic Church. Uh, these are Christian thinkers that belong to all of Christendom, and we have lots of common ground with them. And so this is kind of my way of writing an introduction, or hopefully very readable. I tried to keep the end notes uh, to, to a limit. I tried to write it in such a way that you don't have to have a lot of background to kind of make your way through the book. So this is my invitation to my evangelical friends to maybe go a little deeper in historical theology. And the way I did it is by introducing people. So uh, I think biography is always an engaging way of uh, capturing a topic. Yeah, that's that's really good. I mean, you, you really hit it all on the head there. Um you know, because there is sometimes this um, sometimes idea maybe that, well, we can't learn anything from Roman Catholics or Eastern Orthodox. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've heard you, you say several times, like uh, with several of the profiles you have in the book, you look at these people as, as your friends, people that you, you know, are able to learn from. You don't necessarily agree on everything. Uh, but there's there is a lot of, um, I guess, core doctrines, right, that would um, keep us in in unity in 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 many ways, right? So for, for like the, the Trinity and the person of Jesus, um, we would share a lot in common with the other other branches of Christianity. And maybe you could tell us what what the other branches of Christianity are. Yeah, you know, Christendom um, is at times sharply divided. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you've got. Eastern Orthodoxy, you've got Roman Catholicism, and you have Protestantism, and then there are, of course, different segments within within Protestant thought, uh, and sometimes the differences are pretty sharp. Uh, some people think maybe they're, you know, intractable. We, we differ over authority. Is Scripture the supreme authority? Well, that's the, that's the Protestant position. Orthodox kind of put tradition and Scripture side by side. Catholics argue that the teaching magisterium is necessary to interpret both scripture and tradition. So there are those differences that remain in Christendom. But as you've mentioned, and I think it's important to recognize that if you look at the Apostles' Creed or you look at the Nicene Creed, that's a pretty big slice of Christianity, and Mm -hmm. Orthodox Catholics and Protestants affirm it. So um, I think it's important to realize that You know, I've laid out nine thinkers, and some of them are more in the eastern area of the church, like Irenaeus and Athanasius, so they're very much favorites of Eastern Orthodox. Most of the thinkers I talk about are either Catholic or Protestant, so they're in the Western church. But all of these great Christian thinkers would affirm what C.S. Lewis would call mere Christianity, Uh, And again, uh, I do see all of these men as being mentors, being friends, people that that challenge me. It's it's not that they don't make mistakes. It's not that they are somehow perfect. They're all forgiven sinners. But um, I think it's very important to be able to learn from church history and to recognize that um, 
there there's many things in the past that can help us today and particularly dealing with uh you know areas of your ministry where you're dealing with groups that are are heretical or groups that hold cultic ideas i mean most of the people i write about in my book championed orthodoxy uh against various challenges so i think you know, we don't live in the past, but the, as Christians, the past lives in us. Yeah, that's good. And there's there's not a whole lot of new ideas that uh, that come out that haven't really been dealt with before by most of these uh, giants that were, were kind of standing on their shoulders, right? That's it. Yeah, well said. Yeah. All right, well, let's uh, maybe we can get into this a little bit. And uh, we've uh, got about an hour, I believe, before. Professor Samples, is that is that good for you? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to do it. Wonderful. Uh, so if you got if you guys have uh, questions or would like to to talk to Professor Samples, you can call in at four two five two nine two four 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 four. That's four two five two nine two four 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 four, and he'd be happy to talk with you and answer your. Uh, oh, you know what? I actually I gave the wrong number. I gave the host call. <laughs> so let me give the the call the number for you guys it's actually 619-768-7314 619-768-7314 we would love to hear from you so let's start with uh saint uh irenaeus um maybe you can talk a little bit about him and and some of the influential writings and and uh, key positions in that yeah, Irenaeus's dates are right about 130 to 202 AD. So Irenaeus is really kind of a critical figure because he's only one generation removed from the apostles. Um, Irenaeus knew Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John who wrote uh, several books of the New Testament. So Upon the death of the apostles, the church really needs people who can step up and communicate Christianity clearly, uh, defend oh. it boldly. So Irenaeus is an individual who becomes uh, Bishop of Lyon, uh, which today is in France. Um, and Irenaeus is, is uh, a person who takes the, his, his role as a bishop after the previous one had been uh, brutally martyred. So here you have an early Christian facing persecution, facing various issues, and Irenaeus is well-known, Devin, for his battling of Gnosticism. Now, it's, it's hard for me to know which heresy is the worst, if you will, but Gnosticism was a very serious challenge to historic Christianity. Um, Gnosticism taught that, that matter was evil and spirit was good, and that salvation was achieved by gaining esoteric, secret knowledge. And, I mean, if you accept that idea that matter is evil and spirit is good, think of what that would do to uh, creation, what it would do to the incarnation, the resurrection, the atonement. So this, this is a major heresy, and it's never gone away. I mean, even today we have elements of Gnostic thought, not only with the Nag Hammadi, Gospels that were discovered in the 20th century uh, out in the desert of Egypt, but you also have Gnostic ideas in the Da Vinci Code and various other kind of popular spirituality. Well, um, Irenaeus is not only a bishop and not only a teacher, he's an apologist, 
and uh, one of his most important books is entitled Against Heresies, and he takes apart Gnosticism. And what I like about it, Devin, is uh, Irenaeus is, is a person who I think practices what I call the golden rule of apologetics. He's mm-hmm. very faithful in telling us what Gnostics believe, and the more we've the more we've uncovered, the more I think it, we come to the realization that he was very accurate in the way that he described Gnosticism, in the way that he critiqued it, bringing both scripture and uh, philosophical arguments to bear. And many historians believe that Christianity was uh, able to gain the victory over Gnosticism uh, primarily through the work of Irenaeus. And so mm-hmm. I think he is the most important theologian of the second century. And the reason I say that is because of his work against Gnosticism and because he has a very advanced view of the Trinity and the Incarnation. And remember, this is even before some of the great councils of the third and fourth century. So Irenaeus is very significant. He's held in high esteem, both in the Orthodox tradition and the Catholic tradition, and Protestants who realize his uh, his great work uh, against Gnosticism hold him, you know, in, in high esteem as well. Yeah. So, just a, a couple of uh, questions just on that. Um, so, philosophy gets a bad rap a lot, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. Especially within the church, you sometimes get that a lot. How important um, of a role did philosophy play uh, with Saint Irenaeus as he's defending against a lot of these heretical views uh, that, are, that were coming up? Well, it is very important because you know Gnosticism is kind of a mixture of uh, of uh, <laughs> Oriental ideas, uh, Greek ideas. Um, uh, mixed with kind of Christian ideas, and uh, in the in the ancient church, in the medieval church, Christians saw philosophy as a handmaid, as a servant. Uh, mm-hmm. Philosophy could be a tool that could help you um, uh, to arrive at a more biblically oriented, a, a more historic Christian position. And so, uh, Irenaeus is able to navigate this worldview challenge of Gnosticism because he is able uh, to recognize uh, the philosophical categories that, that emerge in this. And mm. Irenaeus as well um, is significant, Devin, because he develops a theodicy. You know, the idea of a theodicy is how do we make sense of God's goodness and his power in light of the presence of evil, pain, and suffering? And... Um, you know, Irenaeus develops a theodicy that that uh, suffering is a type of therapy, kind of building on uh, the book of Romans chapter 5, where Paul talks about uh, suffering building character in our lives. So um, Irenaeus is very much a theologian, an apologist, has an awareness of the philosophical categories of the Greek and Roman world. And so, uh, again, why I think he is so significant is I think he has a really advanced awareness of uh, the necessity to to defend Christianity from various challenges. That's good. Yeah, and I know you know philosophy helps in so many uh, 
so many ways to do that, kind of help, helping put the scriptures and science and just reality and just, you know, the, the things that we see, uh, able to put them together in a coherent view um, and give a good, robust defense. So that's, that's great. Uh, one of the other questions I had was, um, so he's, he's, uh, he says he's a disciple of Polycarp, so he's not far removed from the apostles. And it just strikes me how, you know, early on you have heresies coming right away. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I hear from my Roman Catholic friends that you need this apostolic succession because the closer you get back there, uh, the more pure kind of the doctrine is. But we see right away. I mean, there's there's heresies going on uh, right away, early on. That's that's exactly right. In fact, the you know when you when you think of the Gnostic heresy uh, much earlier, and even during the time of the apostles, you have it in maybe what its early version would be called Docetism. Doceo is the Greek word to seem. Uh, there were people who said Jesus only seemed to have a body. When he walked on the sea, you know, the shore of Galilee, he didn't leave any footprints. He was just a, a spiritual creature. Well, you know, John the Apostle uh, talks about the importance of God coming in the flesh. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about people who proclaim secret knowledge. So it appears that the early elements of Gnosticism were around even in apostolic times. And... Um, you know, it, it, is, it is certainly the case that uh, Irenaeus supports the idea of apostolic tradition, and he talks about there isn't any secret knowledge. The apostles would have conveyed that to the bishops who represented them upon their death. So, you know, when you look at the church fathers, there are times where they seem to support uh, kind of apostolic tradition, something similar either to the Catholic or to the Orthodox view. On the other hand, there are also uh, a clear presentation in the Church Fathers of salvation being by grace through faith. And mm. I think it's important, again, for, for Christians particularly today to benefit from those eras and from those particular individuals. I mean, um, whether Irenaeus is closer to the Catholic view or the Orthodox view, uh, Protestants can greatly benefit from someone like him who was so wise, courageous, mm. and uh, and he was very ironic. I mean, that's where we get the word. Irenaeus means a, a person who is ironic. Uh, Irenaeus tried to negotiate between the churches in the East and in the West. I think a principled uh, unity in Christianity or ecumenism is a very good thing. And so one thing I try to do in the book, Devin, is I talk about the importance among the different branches of Christendom and the different denominations, Lutheran, Reformed, uh, Anglican, Baptist, whatever it may be, that we should seek truth and unity and charity. Uh, a lot of times in apologetics, there isn't a lot of charity extended. And I, mm. I think that that's a, that's a critical part of, again, doing the golden rule of apologetics. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, and it's it's uh, how people, I think, uh, in one way are, are one to the faith is is seeing that uh, you know you really do care about the people, you want truth, you're seeking truth, not just to win an argument or score points, but that you know you're treating treating them or your, their ideas like you would want to be, and and 
ultimately seeking truth. So that's good. One, one other point on this um, with the with the Gnosticism today, I still hear Christians say things like "can't wait to get to heaven and shed this body," and um, you know, almost this idea as though that the physical is bad and you know just want the spiritual. So it seems like this idea is, is still kind of prevalent today. Would you would you say that? It certainly is, and you're right. It's it's not just in uh, challenges from without, like the, like Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code or the book The Secret that Oprah Winfrey pushed, but even Christians make statements like that, uh, not seemingly appreciating the fact that uh, in the eternal state we will be reunited with our bodies, and that uh, you know our we're we're a union of soul and body or the immaterial and and the material the physical and so christianity is deeply invested in the idea of the flesh i mean look at the created world god has become man in jesus christ and then christ's atonement he's crucified suffers in his body and then is raised bodily so it is very critically important to appreciate that this idea of enfleshment is solidly biblical and christian yeah, I even hear confusion as far as whether Jesus, you know, was was physically resurrected, and you know whether whether today he has a resurrected body, and uh, it's almost like it's just been pounded into us that you know the physical is bad, and uh, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, not a Christian idea. Yeah. All right. Uh, so with Irenaeus, is there anything um, you in the book you give some things, uh, kind of a few things we could learn from him? Um, any you want to wrap that up? Give us a few things we could learn maybe from, from St. Yeah. Yeah. I think his standing strong against heresies is, you know, such an important point today. Um, you know, he had a, a, a very unique metaphor about the Trinity. He talked about, uh, he talked about the father having two hands and this, this is again, an analogy or a metaphor and his hands are the son and the spirit. Uh, the word and mm-hmm. wisdom, and that that's that's you know when God creates the world, the Father is the primary agent in creation, but his co-agents are the Son and the Spirit. That's a powerful thing, and I again I would underscore his courage, his wisdom, his humility. I think he was just the right person to to continue Christianity upon the death of the apostles, and I think we can learn from him and hopefully model our ministries after his. Amen. That's good. Good stuff. Uh, let's look at maybe St. Athanasius. Maybe tell us a little bit about him and, and uh, some of his works and positions, key positions. Yeah, Athanasius is one of my favorite Christians of, of all time. His dates, he's born around 296 and dies about 373. So now we're we're into the 4th century. Um Athanasius is a very, very important thinker. He is at the Council of Nicaea when, uh, when Christendom condemned the, the heresy of Arianism. But Arianism never went away, and Athanasius became the central defender of Nicaean Orthodoxy, the deity of Christ, if you will, and also he defended the deity and personality of the Holy Spirit. So really he was defending the Trinity, but Athanasius's huge claim to fame is that for uh, almost 50 years he battled another heresy, uh, 
this is Arianism. So the Arians believed that uh, Jesus was not fully equal to the Father. He was divine-like, but not fully equal. So Arian Christology is very similar to Jehovah's Witnesses of today, the people that knock at your door and give you the Awake magazine. Uh, there are other groups that have held Arianism that we see in the future, the old Worldwide Church of God, the Christadelphians, for example, are all kind of Arian. But Athanasius is a remarkable individual. Um, he was bishop of Alexandria for 46 years, but because Arianism didn't go away and because there were bishops that leaned toward an Arian understanding rather than a Nicene understanding of Christ's nature, uh, he got a lot of pressure, and uh, he developed arguments for uh, biblical arguments you know, to... to uh, attack Arianism, to critique it. For example, he said, you know, that only God can save us, and Jesus is our Savior, therefore Jesus has to be God. He argued that Arianism made Christians into idolaters, because if we worship Jesus and Jesus is not God, we're guilty of idolatry. So in my chapter, I present four different arguments that Athanasius reasoned through, and ultimately... Uh, Athanasius was successful. Uh, councils following Nicaea confirmed the condemnation of, of uh, the Arian heresy. Arius of Alexandria was the key person behind that. And, of course, there's a, a famous uh, element and story. Um, uh, there was a period in which it looked like Arianism was, was uh, you know, gaining the upper hand. And some of the bishops came to Athanasius, and they said, Athanasius, don't you realize the whole world is against you? Christendom is on the side of Arius. And Athanasius very calmly said, is the world against Athanasius? Then it's Athanasius against the world. Uh, the, the Latin, the Greek uh, uh, is, um, at, it is the, um, now I'm trying to remember the exact words, uh, Athanasius contra mundum. And I'll tell you a little brief story, uh, Devin. When I was baptized into the Catholic Church, I was baptized at St. Athanasius Parish in Long Beach, California. And oh, wow. I remember on the church door it said, Athanasius Contra Mundum. And that, that never went away from me. I have always thought my ministry in some ways was done in the spirit of Athanasius because wow. I, think a, I think a very important part of my ministry is defending the Trinity, the deity of Christ, critiquing groups that challenge it. So Athanasius is honored as a saint both in the Orthodox and Catholic traditions, and wow. I would say probably he's the most popular church father among Protestants. So he's almost like a universal voice within Christendom. He is deeply respected for his defense of the deity of Christ. Wow. So, yeah, I guess he, he just, uh, like you say, he's popular with all, all of the branches of Christianity, Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, and Orthodox because of that. Uh, yeah. You know the mere Christianity, that defense of, of of the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, so it's one of the things you notice today with a lot of uh, the cults, right? It's where they uh, claim to be Christian, but they will deny, of course, the deity of Christ. And uh, so a lot of these people, I guess, you're saying he was going against or uh, debating with, also 
didn't have a high view, I guess, of of uh, Christ. So really yeah. important, right? Really important uh, figure. Yes, and his book on the Incarnation is a wonderful book. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote an introduction uh, to uh, or a preface to Athanasius's book on the Incarnation, and he and Lewis said that. When he read Athanasius's book, he realized that it was a masterpiece. Wow. Uh, you can get that. You can get that book with Lewis's introduction uh, today, and it's a wonderful book, talking about the the critical importance of looking at Christianity through the truth of the incarnation. And so, if Jesus is God and man, then he can speak for God and man, and he can reconcile God and man. And so the idea of the Incarnation was very critical to Athanasius. And uh, following on Irenaeus, that Eastern idea of defending the Incarnation was uh, so very important. And, you know, you can read the chapter on my book. I give some arguments you can use with Jehovah's Witnesses that are, that are developed in the spirit of, uh, of Athanasius all those years ago. Wow. Would you say then that uh, um, he was one of the influential figures? Um, you were saying that it seemed like a lot of people were going, you know, uh, Athan- uh, everybody against Athanasius. Um, so was it a lot of his writings that uh, started to uh, develop doubt in the Arian theology and started swinging people back over to Orthodoxy? I do. I think he is the most important person in the ultimate victory of uh, Nicene Orthodox theology, Trinitarianism, the full deity of both the Son and the Spirit with the Father, I think that Athanasius's work really won the day. When he died, he wasn't sure that you know he they would ultimately win the battle. But I mean, think of this: wow. this guy was exiled five times over 17 years, but he never gave up. He never backed down. Um, he used the time in exile to develop arguments, critiquing, uh, because he thought that only a divine Christ could save us. Only, only a Savior who is both God and man could bring about redemption. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a lesson for us today, Devin. You know, sometimes we get called heresy hunters. Sometimes people who are apologists, you know, are spoken of in rather unfriendly terms. But... The reality is that uh, confronting false doctrine is absolutely critical, um, and I see I see Athanasius as such an inspiration. He was the greatest theologian of his time, and he is a person we can learn so much about. Yeah, and that's, it sounds like too he knew how to pick his battles. You know, um, sometimes yeah. apologists can, uh, you know, try and debate all kind of things that just really shouldn't take the spotlight, but they do. But it sounds like he, you know, he realized there's certain hills you die on. And of course the Trinity and the deity of Christ is one of those hills you have to die on. So that's a a good lesson for us as well. Um, Spend your time defending wisely. Those important things. So, all right, that's, that's good. Um, Maybe we could talk a little bit about St. Augustine. Yeah, St. Augustine, uh, his dates are 354 to 430. Um, I think, Devin, that St. Augustine is the most influential Christian outside of the New Testament authors. Um, He's not as, as respected and influential in the Eastern Church as he is in the West, 
but he's enormously influential. I mean, he is the most prolific author in the ancient world, not, not just Christian, but even non-Christian authors, even Latin or Greek. He is the most prolific author. He wrote more than five million words. Um, he invented the autobiography. I mean, if you, if there were a Barnes and Noble or an Amazon in the, in the ancient world, there were no biographies. Augustine's uh, book, The Confessions, where he writes about his spiritual autobiography, that created a whole new genre. His book, The City of God, was a tremendously important critique of the Greco-Roman worldview in opposition to Christianity. And just like Irenaeus and Athanasius, Augustine battled a number of heresies. Maybe the most significant was Pelagianism. Uh, Pelagius was a, a English monk who argued that by moral discipline you could seek self-salvation. Grace was available if you needed it, but you shouldn't need it if you were really buckled down and tried to follow uh, the commands of God. Uh, Augustine said that that was a heresy, that all of us uh, have a sin nature in Adam, uh, that we are all sinful people, uh, that we can't keep the commandments perfectly. We are saved by the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. Uh, Augustine critiqued a group that he was once part of called the Manichees. He was in that group himself for nine years. He also critiqued the Dantatus controversy, the, the Dantatus heresy. And Augustine, of course, has a great story. I mean, he grew up in North Africa, had a Christian mother, Monica. His dad was a pagan. Uh, they sent him to uh, the top school in Carthage where he learned rhetoric. He became a rhetorician and taught it in Carthage, in Rome, in Milan. Um, you know, he, he left the early Christian Catholic faith he was given by his mom. Uh, he was a worldly person. He took a concubine. Uh, he and her had a child out of wedlock. Uh, Augustine lived a, a life of rebellion. And then he bumped into the great Bishop Ambrose, a great Christian in Milan, who challenged him uh, to think about God, to read Scripture, uh, to reflect on various truths. And Augustine's conversion is spelled out in the, the book Confessions. And personally, I'm not sure there is a greater uh, Christian book outside of the Bible than the Confessions. It is, uh, it's, uh, even though it was written 1,600 years ago, it remains a remarkably important book. And um, I think Augustine is, I think he is not only critical to Catholics, uh, but I think he's probably as important to Protestants as he is to Catholics. And so, you know, people like uh, St. Anselm and St. Thomas Aquinas were strong Augustinian people as well. Martin Luther, John Calvin uh, were strongly Augustinian. And so August, it's, high, it's hard to be hyperbolic about Augustine because he accomplished so many different things. I see him as a critical shaper of Christian orthodoxy. Wow. Um, you, you had said, as you started talking about him, that he was not, he's not as popular in the East. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've noticed that as well. I'm curious, why do you think that is? 
I think it's for a couple reasons. Um, in the Eastern Church, in the Orthodox tradition, uh, they don't affirm original sin. They, uh, they believe they're sinners, but they don't believe that their guilt is in Adam, that they have a sin nature derived from Adam. Uh, so they, they view Augustine in, as being very pessimistic. They're also quite critical of his, his – the older Augustine affirmed a stronger view of predestination and election. They're also critical of that. Um, they're also critical of his view of the Trinity in the sense that he defends the filioque, the idea that the Spirit proceeds both from the Father and the Son. That's the meaning of the term filioque. So those are some of the reasons why they're critical of him. They, they still honor him, but he's not nearly as popular as people like Athanasius or uh, or the Gregories, or some of the other church fathers, Christostom, etc. Okay, no, that's that's a really good explanation. Um, he also did the, a lot of work on the problem of of evil as well. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, w- one of the things that Ambrose helped him to to understand, and sometimes Augustine is criticized for his use of uh, neo Neoplatonic philosophy. But Augustine came to see that evil is not a thing. Uh, it's, it's really an absence. Uh, it's kind of like a, a hole in your tooth. There is the absence of uh, enamel. Evil is not a thing. It's the absence of goodness. And so he kind of viewed evil as a parasite that rested on goodness. And that's very powerful today, because people will say, well, if God is good and all-powerful, why did he create evil? Augustine said God never created evil. Evil is a privation of the goodness that should be there. So he was a very significant apologist. And I think anyone who doesn't know about St. Augustine and all of his contributions, I just think you could learn so much and grow significantly. And I would say if I had to pick one of the nine as my personal favorite, I think Augustine would be the be right at the front of the line. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know he's it's, it's really very influential figure. So let's do this. We'll take a, a quick uh, break for just a couple of minutes, and uh, we'll come back. And I just wanted to hit two more uh, with you, Professor Samples, maybe uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. You know, I've got to get him. Being a good SDS student, you know, they'd shoot me if (laughs) we didn't talk about him. And also being a good reform guy, I would love to talk a little bit about John Calvin as well. So uh, stay with us, folks. Uh, We're just going to take a a quick break, and then we will be uh, right uh, right back, and we'll continue the conversation uh, with uh, Professor Ken Samples on his book, uh, Classic Christian Thinkers. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. Apologetics seeks to give credible answers to curious questions, to give a defense. What do Scientologists believe? Scientologists have some very different beliefs. According to Scientology, human beings are merely thetans. They just don't recognize them. A thetan is an immortal spirit. And here's how it went down. Trillions of years ago, these Thetans, or immortal spirits, got bored with their existence. And wanting to not be bored, they created this physical world. 
However, being mere spirits, they needed to create bodies so that they could enjoy the world that they created. However, through the process of reincarnation, they ended up forgetting their existence. They forgot who they were. They no longer understood that their true identity was that of a Thetan. And so through the process of reincarnation, they ended up inheriting more and more engrams. Now, an engram is a sensory impression on the mind that causes many emotional, mental, and physical difficulties to human beings. And so in order to become cleared, the Thetan, or the human being, needs to go through a process with an auditor. Now, the auditor is trained in Scientology to help you to become cleared of the engrams. And the way that they do that is they work with an e-meter. And if you can get cleared, you will understand then that your true identity is that of a Thetan. If you have not gone through the process of getting cleared, you are considered pre-clear. And the problem with humanity then is the engrams and our failure to understand our true identity is Thetans. Some things truly are stranger than fiction. It used to be that in order to engage with people from other religions, we had to send missionaries out to faraway places. But in the 21st century, we have become a global culture. Now, instead of us going out into the world, the world is coming to our back door. It's not uncommon these days for us to encounter a Muslim coworker or Hindu parents at our kids' soccer practice. Now, everyday situations ought to be opportunities to interact with a diversity of religious perspectives. The challenge is, how do we do that? That's why I wrote the book, God Among Sages. I want to offer a practical tool to help equip Christians to confidently compare the prominent icons of the world's religions and see how Jesus rises above the rest. I'll help you demystify the beliefs of other religions so that you can confidently share your faith with others. It's my desire that God Among Sages will ignite a passion in your heart to start strategic conversations with the people in your life who need to find the eternal hope that's only offered in Jesus. CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network broadcasts to well over 300 stations nationwide, all from right here in Twin Falls. CSN is the station for solid Bible teaching and the best modern praise and worship. Tune in at 4 p.m. for CSN's live call-in program, To Every Man and Answer, with Steve Matheson, and Sunday mornings at 10.30 for a live broadcast from the river. Listen on air locally at 89.9 FM or online at csnradio.com. CSN International, where God's Word is heard. All right, folks, welcome back to Theology Matters, and we are looking at uh, the book Classic Christian Thinkers with Professor Ken Samples, and we have just uh, looked at uh, a few of the high profiles of these uh, great Christian thinkers, and uh, just a just a wonderful book, and uh, sometimes people think, you know, church history, it's it's dry, and it's boring, and, and you know, granted, sometimes it probably can be like that. Uh, but this book is not like that. This uh, it's it's uh, you know not a, a real long read, 
but uh, just the most, you know, important ideas and, and the works. And uh, I think Professor Zample, as you said, the kind of the goal of this book was to get getting people to, to dive a little deeper, right, into some of the works of these uh, men. Yes, exactly. I'm, I, I hope that, you know, by reading my book, it'll, uh, it'll get them to say, hey, maybe I, can, uh, maybe I can read on the Incarnation by Athanasius, or maybe I'll pick up the Confessions by St. Augustine. Um, that's really my goal, is to, to help people, to kind of give them a, a guide. It is a book that is uh, a beginner's guide. You don't have to have a lot of background. I tried to write it as clearly as I could. There's lots of resources there, lots of quotes and things of that nature, and uh, I would be very pleased if uh, many of my Christian evangelical brothers and sisters would decide that, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read some of these thinkers for myself, and uh, if that happens, I would be very pleased as an author. Yeah, amen. Well, this this is definitely the book, folks. If you're wanting to, you know, learn a little more about church history, and maybe you've been intimidated by you know, the massive volumes that these guys have wrote. Well, this is a great introduction to who these people are. And uh, just, you know, I, I view these people as, as really gifts uh, that God has given, given us. Church history really is a gift. And these, these men are our brothers in Christ and uh, should be fun to be able to talk with them about some of this stuff uh, someday in heaven for sure. So maybe we can, uh, Look at uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Tell us a little bit about him and some of his key thoughts and ideas. Yeah. You know, Devin, I, I really think that the brightest mind Christendom ever produced was possibly that of Thomas Aquinas. Um, wow. And the, and the funny thing was, when he was growing up, he was teased by his classmates called the dumb ox. But uh, Thomas was... Thomas was born in Italy, was born in a castle in the Middle Ages. His dates are 1225 to 1274. Thomas is an incredible uh, thinker. I call him the, the quintessential Catholic philosopher. If you were to, to read his book, Summa Theologica or Summa Contra Gentilis, probably his two most important writings, there are times where he defends a distinctively Catholic view, for example, he is a strong defender of the Catholic view of the sacraments. But there are many things that Protestants could clearly appreciate in Thomas Aquinas, his, his five ways, his arguments for God's existence, uh, his idea that all language about God is, is through analogy, his idea that grace perfects nature. Um, you know, some of my friends, when I learned apologetics, from my friend Norman Geisler. Uh, Dr. Geisler is a, a Protestant Thomas. I have another friend at FCS, Richard Howe, who is a Protestant Thomas. Uh, J.T. Bridges, another friend at uh, FCS. So there are, there are many um, Protestant thinkers who have come to really be impressed with Thomas Aquinas. And I love his defense of simplicity. I love uh, and I'll tell you, the thing I really love most about Thomas Aquinas is that one of the things that makes Summa Theologica so long, it's almost two million words long, is because Thomas looks at almost every objection to his argument before he ever gives his own view. He, he is 
he is that kind of thinker that always considers other arguments and critiques them before he makes his case. And so I think Thomas is the greatest Christian philosopher of all time. Uh, wow. he, and, he and Augustine would certainly compete as two of the most influential people. And he doesn't belong exclusively to the Catholic Church. As I've mentioned, there are many Christians who uh, have learned the wisdom that, that comes from this remarkable Christian thinker. And by the way, he only lived 49 years. I mean, he lived a pretty brief life wow. and accomplished so much. That's amazing. It's it's funny, um, you know, within the because I'm a Reformed Baptist, but within the Reformed Baptist uh, community, certain segments, um, Thomas Aquinas is really popular, and he's you know a lot of his works have really been exploding on the scene, kind of with the defense of uh, you know um, classical theism and simplicity and uh, divine impassibility is one of the big ones, so. Uh, it's 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 neat to see the different uh, traditions among uh, Christendom, uh, you know, embracing uh, a lot of the ideas of uh, Saint Thomas. It's pretty pretty impressive. It so. really is. He he's a person who casts a large shadow, and um, he, and to talk about a point you raised earlier in our discussion, the critical importance of philosophy. Philosophy being a handmaid and he even critiqued Islam uh, all yeah. those centuries ago. So uh, he is a very valuable uh, Christian thinker that I think all Christians, no matter what denomination, should be aware of who he was and, and his accomplishments. Before we move on real quick to uh, Calvin, um, when with his stuff with Islam, what was some of the contributions that he had, he had um, done with that? I'm just curious. Yeah, so when um, when Thomas was living in the uh, 13th century, um, Aristotle's writings became popular again, coming out of uh, uh, both Europe and in other parts of the Arabic world. And of course, uh, Averroes and some of the other Muslims began picking up Aristotle and developing what they would call an Arabic Aristotelian synthesis that... Uh, Aristotle's philosophy was very powerful, and he was seen right. as a worldview thinker. So Thomas uh, develops a Christian Aristotelian perspective. He takes certain ideas and concepts from Aristotle. He differs with some of what Aristotle taught and presents the synthesis. And it is critical at that point because the the major worldview challenge to Christianity would be from both the Greek world through Aristotle, but also through the Arabic world through Islam. And some Islamic thinkers had beat Christians to the punch of looking at uh, philosophy and utilizing it. And so what you have in Summa Contra Gentilis, for example, is a, a critique of these various ideas. And I think it's masterful. I mean, sometimes people say in a very popular way that Thomas kind of baptized Aristotle's God, but I think that that's incorrect. Uh, Thomas was very careful. He realized that there were things in Aristotle that were not Christian, that the universe okay. was eternal, for example. Aristotle didn't have a view of original sin. And uh, if you read through Thomas's writings, he quotes scripture 
so frequently. He quotes St. Augustine frequently. And, um, you know, again, uh, one of my friends, uh, Wen Corsion, is uh, an evangelical Thomist, a Protestant Thomist. So yeah. this this is a person you... You just Protestants just can't afford to miss Thomas Aquinas, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, and I'm sure you'll do both. He is a person right. you can't miss, can't afford to miss. That's great. Very good. Um, all right. Uh, let's uh, kind of wrap it up here with uh, John Calvin. Tell us a little bit about John Calvin and his thoughts and ideas. Yeah, Calvin is born in 1509 and dies in 1564. Calvin is a second-generation reformer. He's 26 years younger than Luther. And I view Calvin as really the great systematic theologian of the Reformation. I, I view Luther as kind of the, the pathfinder. He, was, he had the charisma. He had the wisdom and the insight to get the Reformation started. But I really view Calvin as kind of the systematic presenter of those those ideas. And so Calvin is born in, in France. He uh, uh, studies law. He's interested in Roman literature. Uh, but he has a conversion to Christ and becomes Protestant uh, at the time of the Reformation, moves to Geneva, becomes the most important Reformed thinker in the uh, Reformation movement uh, at that time. And his book, Institutes of the Christian Religion, uh, Alistair McGrath, one of the great uh, Reformation historians of today, McGrath says that many people consider the Institutes of the Christian Religion as the greatest work in Protestant theology. He talks a lot about the critical idea of God's sovereignty, he speaks of all doctrine needing to be derived from Scripture. He defends the idea that we have the census divinitatis. We have a sense of God's existence uh, from being made in the image of God. And so Calvin is an extraordinary person. He writes many biblical commentaries. He writes a commentary on every New Testament book book but the book of revelation of which he said he didn't understand he um uh he encouraged people to read the institutes along with his commentaries and Devin, i know so many people today thoughtful christian leaders today who are still reading calvin's commentaries still recognizing what a what a significant contribution he made and calvin is criticized of course he may be the most uh vilified in Christian history, but I, I think often he's misunderstood. Uh, he didn't invent predestination. In fact, Devin Calvin's view of predestination is not only not that different than Luther's, it's not that different than Augustine and Aquinas's view. And, yeah. uh, you know, Calvin is really a biblical theologian. He is, I think, one of the greatest biblical scholars in the history of our faith. Wow. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot we can learn from him, both sides, whether you agree or disagree. It's it's like you say, it's just a lot of work. And what's what's funny is just again how Augustine keeps coming up, you know, over and over. It's like uh, everybody <laughs> was was uh, kind of picking off his work and uh, using his his stuff as a as a foundation in a lot of ways, isn't that right? 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, and, and again, I think, uh, I think what we have to gain, and you, you touched on it earlier, that, you know, there aren't a lot of new things. We still struggle with issues today and uh, that, that Christians earlier struggled with. And I think, you know, when you look at this stream of thinkers, uh, Athanasius, Augustine, Aquinas, down to Luther, Calvin, in my latter chapters, I deal with Pascal and, and C.S. Lewis. You know, just as I learned from Walter Martin and I learned from Norman Geisler and I learned from Hugh Ross and many other people, church history is just packed with people that can teach us enormously valuable lessons. Yeah, that's a great way to great great way to wrap that uh, wrap that thought up. So, um, where can people? find your work at and uh, I know you've got some podcasts and, and that that you do as well is that right yeah thank you Devin for asking um, you can go on reasons.org I have a uh, podcast called straight thinking that we put out a podcast every week kind of looking uh, at worldview and critical thinking and Christian philosophy and theology I, I also have a weekly blog that I write called Reflections, and all of that is available there at reasons.org. You can also get my book, Classic Christian Thinkers, through Reasons to Believe or, or and Amazon.com. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate you so much coming on the show, and, uh, man, we'll have to have you back on again. Keep writing them books. <laughs> well, thank we you, and say hello to it. your your wife Melissa you guys do great work and you you guys keep up the good work you're doing I'm very proud of what you do and uh, I enjoy the spirit that you have you're always you always emphasize uh, graciousness and charity and we need that today Devin so thank you very much thank you so much that means a lot to me and I look forward to talking to you again all right thank you uh, folks for tuning in and uh, Really, really enjoy having Professor Samples on, and uh, make sure you get his book, Classic Christian Thinkers, an introduction, and, uh, you know, like I say, it's a great read. His other work, uh, again, God Among Sages, uh, he wrote one, I believe, called The World of Difference and Without a Doubt. All of all of his books, I have just benefited so much from, and uh, just a, a great man. And a great mind, and we need more books like this. So, uh, summertime is upon us, friends, and uh, that means our workload is lightened a little bit. Uh, we're not doing as much with Winthrop and York Tech right now until we'll start back again in, in August. Um, we are going to be doing a uh, summer ratio Christie group for high school students. So, if you are in the Rock Hill area, feel free to. Uh, Get a hold of us at the Palouse at yahoo.com or hit us up on Facebook. Again, you can go to the Palouse, uh, Theology Matters with the Palouse on Facebook and send us a message and we'll get back with you there. And uh, we're going to be doing that on Thursday nights. And uh, Awana's actually just put a new curriculum out. It's an apologetic curriculum with Sean McDowell that he had put together. And uh, it's a real, really good worldview. Uh, curriculum and so uh, would love to uh, again if you're in the Rock Hill or Charlotte area I uh, would love to have you join us for that keep us in prayer 
with that because really, you know, with high school students and, you know, those in, in that age between 13 to 18, you know, there, there's a lot of challenges that they're having to, to face that we necessarily may not have had to face. Social media is just a whole other ball game, and with it brings a whole lot of other challenges, good things and bad things. Uh, but help us, uh, you know, pray for us that we would be able to, to equip them and give them a good foundation so when they do go off to college, um, you know, they they are not shaken and, and stirred, but they know uh, that, uh, you know, Christianity is true and uh, are able to, to dig into that foundation. Um, next week, uh, again, plan on having Jonathan McClatchy on and be looking at the Messianic prophecies. And he's got a, he's, that guy just knows a lot of things about all kinds of different topics. And so uh, we'll probably do a, a few shows with him is what I would like to do. <clears throat> Uh, and so we'll have the link up, trying to figure out a time, probably will be maybe maybe Friday night or something like that, where we'll, we'll try and get the podcast in uh, for an hour or so and um, try and bring you guys some more good shows. I got a possible debate uh, looking at doing on uh, theistic personalism versus classical theism, uh, which ought to be an interesting discussion on the attributes of God. And so we're trying to, trying to set something like that up as well. And uh, just, you know, again, thank you guys for all the love, all the support. You can go to uh, devinpalu.rationalchristie.org, uh, get more information, see what we're doing on the campus. Again, Facebook, uh, go to Theology Matters with the Palus. We'll have our, our podcast up there. Again, we're on iTunes and Android. Uh, just type in True TRU Radio. And uh, the episode should be there. So, again, we uh, definitely appreciate uh, you guys, appreciate all the support and um, et cetera, and uh, look forward to seeing you guys all uh, next week. God bless. <laughs>